Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Luke Haskell Apologetic Show on the Four Persons Network. To call into the show, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, make way for the hammer of heretics himself. Luke Haskell. about last night, but I want to talk about them again, just in case you didn't hear. First of all, the Four Persons Network is back in the top 10. We have a show ranked in the top 10. Uh, It's been at number 10 for a couple of days in a row now in the Christian category on Blog Talk Radio. And folks, we're only three and a half months old. Three and a half months. And we have placed an Like I said last night, if you asked me to predict, my optimistic prediction would be that we would place one show in the top 15 during our first six months. That would have been an optimistic prediction. Folks, we've placed six shows in the top 15 in the first three and a half months. Uh, Four of those shows have made the front page. Three of them have made the top 10 And one of them went all the way to number one. That's the first uh, bit of good news. The second bit of good news is we got our official letter from the IRS. This has always been in the works. We've already been approved on the state level. But now we're federally approved officially on the national level as a 501c3 recognized charity. So we can now proceed with the process of petitioning churches, Catholic organizations for donations, for grants, sponsorships, um, so we can get bigger and bigger and bigger. We are already the uh, number one Catholic uh, blog show on Blog Talk Radio by far, Uh, but we're going to rule the whole thing. We want to be the top show on Blog Talk Radio. Um, let me invite Luke Haskell, who is one of our absolute top apologists, and we, we're going to be talking about something that some of these subjects Ken Litchfield actually talked about earlier today. Luke, how you doing this evening? I'm fine, John. Doing good. Good. So, uh, Terry Delp on last night's show had some really nice things to say about you. Just wanted you to know. Uh, His show gets a lot of live calls, but he said when your show comes on, he doesn't want any callers to call in. But he's so fixed on what you're saying, and uh, I just wanted to pass that on to you. Terry Delp thinks very highly of you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, He's he's a neat guy. Yeah. 
you know, uh, I have a connection with him that he probably doesn't even realize because I'm a retired lieutenant from the prison system. And uh, I know he's streetwise. And, uh, yeah, there's kind of a connection there. That's wonderful. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite subjects. And one of the ones that what Protestants just really have a tough time with. And, and honestly, I just want to start off by saying you and I have discussed this, and I think this should be our starting point. I really believe the biggest reason Protestants have so much trouble with Mary is because of the wrong way that they approach Scripture. Why don't you uh, start there, and then let's go into, into our format and the points that you wanted to make tonight. Okay, uh, you're, you're kind of cutting in and out. Is that on my side too? Um, do, do you hear me? me? Yeah, I can hear you. Let me try something here. Right. Is that better? Uh, you just cut out the last word. Okay, I really don't know what's going on. Maybe there's something wrong with my connection. Uh, if it keep if it continues if it doesn't get better, let me know and I'll call in on the on the phone line and and uh, do it that way. So let's see if it takes care of itself. It improves it if it improves itself. If not, we'll uh, we'll go with Plan B. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, and when it comes when it comes to Mary, Mary is one of those uh, uh, one of those articles of our faith that is reason it's just constantly attacked by anti-catholics and uh i think one of the reasons is is because mary is a practice of humility and humility actually leads us to to wisdom so i I, i'm going to try to focus on the immaculate conception and mary as our spiritual mother today uh we will need to get a lot of information in pretty in order to stay within our, our our time frame but i uh my understanding is you said that we could go to, to nine, 90 minutes, so, so that's good. Mm-hmm. So uh, somehow Protestants uh, can accept that Eve was born without sin, but Mary could not have been without sin. Uh, this breaks from the seamless fabric of Scripture and how God does everything in perfect measure and, and balance. Uh, when scripture is properly experienced, removing the concept of time and space, it, it really becomes like a, a fugue or multiple instruments played at, the, at once as an entire sonata. Uh, so, something I see uh, in, in the meeting tent. Uh, at the same time God sees the 12 tribes surrounding the meeting tent, he sees the world through all time. At the same time, he sees the outer curtain in coarse animals here. He sees the baptism. At the same time, he sees the Levitical priest washing in the bronze lava. He sees people being baptized into the flesh of Christ, which Paul refers to as the veil in front of the holies. And from the beginning of Christianity, in Titus 3.5, when Paul talks about the lava, the church understood this as baptism into at the same time, he sees the bread of the presence, which is sanctified by the Shekinah cloud. He sees the Eucharist in the hands of the priests and the Holy Spirit uh, overshadowing the priests and making the bread and wine the Eucharist. 
At the same time, he sees the menorah. He sees the life-giving cross. There's an early cross uh, uh, supposedly designed by by Thomas uh, when he went to India, and it's a combination of a menorah and a cross. At the same time, he sees the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints are rising to the throne of God. At the same time, he sees the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. He sees the true Ark of the woman clothed with the sun and Jesus Christ, the son. Uh, uh, Protestantism completely separates from this perfect balance because Protestantism on protesting the Catholic Church which we know as the one truth God established, and really protesting is not a testing. Protesting does not get you to the deep spiritual truths. And the early church fathers saw this perfect balance, which is something that even appears to me to flow as a type of a theological poetry. Justin Martyr, writing about 150 A.D., He's writing to the emperor of Rome, explaining the faith. And if you look at his first apology, it can be summed up as Satan created paganism to keep people from Catholic truth. But uh, in, in, in part of his apology, he, he writes, uh, uh, For Eve, who was a virgin and undefiled, having conceived the word of the serpent, brought forth disobedience and death. But the Virgin Mary received faith and joy when the angel Gabriel announced the good tidings to her that the spirit of the Lord would come upon her and the power of the highest would overshadow her. Wherefore also the holy thing begotten of her is the son of God. And she replied, be it unto me according to thy word. And by her has he been born to whom we have proved so many scriptures refer and by whom God destroys both the serpent and those angels and men who are like him, but works deliverance from death to those who repent of their wickedness and believe upon him. So Eve is a virgin and undefiled. Obviously, being a virgin means you have not had intercourse. So the words end undefiled would mean undefiled by sin. So in perfect balance, Justin is saying that Mary as the true Eve was a virgin undefiled by sin, so Eve, when she was undefiled by sin, fell into the temptation of Satan, while Mary, undefiled by sin, was obedient to God. There you go. Uh, I just want to tell you, I want to tell our audience that I'm now hearing from Luke's end the same thing that he was experiencing, where, where some of the words are dropping out. So it seems to be a problem that's happening with the switchboard, the soundboard on Blog Talk Radio and both our apologies. It happens, you know, on occasion. There's really nothing that we can do about it. Uh, Luke, to to kind of extrapolate on your point, um, you know, you talked about, like, for instance, the twelve the twelve tribes surrounding the meeting tent, and then in the Book of Revelation we see the twelve uh, the twenty four elders on thrones uh, uh, around the throne of God. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems is they don't understand our Protestant brothers and sisters don't understand that typology and how the things that are in the Old Testament are actually pointing to us, pointing forward in the New Testament. And I know that you're about to go through some of those right now, starting with Isaiah. So please continue. Well, we have this wealth 
of history of the faith and it's something that Protestants re- really don't have. So we're kind of at an advantage to actually feeling the true nature of scripture because on, on one sense, we live it, the faith, the religion, ritual, and the covenant. And in another, uh, all the way back to, you know, the disciples of the apostles, we have these images of these spiritual realities in, uh, in the history of the church. Uh, as we're continuing with the Immaculate Conception, we read in the Ascension of Isaiah, which is written about 70 AD, it says, the report concerning the child who, who was, the, let me start again. The report concerning the child was noise abroad in Bethlehem. Some said the Virgin Mary has given birth before she was married two months. And many said she has not given birth. The midwife has not gone up to her. And we heard no cries of pain. So the Ascension was written about the same time as the Didache was. I considered the Didache to be the first catechism of the Catholic Church. We had a catechism of the Catholic Church 300 years before we had a Bible. So in the Ascension, it mentions the possibility of Mary giving birth without pain. So I'm pretty sure whoever wrote this understood the reason for pain and childbirth, according to the scripture. In Genesis, Genesis 3.16, we read, To the woman also he said, I will multiply thy sorrows, and thy conception in sorrow shall thou bring forth children. So Justin tells us that Mary was undefiled, and the ascension of Isaiah shows us one of those results of being undefiled, which is to have no pain in childbirth. So anyone who tries to say this doctrine was created by man first seen December 8, 1845, and Pope Pius's, uh, the uh, 11th Encyclical, Infallibus uh, Deus, does not understand the church. Things can be in the heart of the church since the beginning of Christianity and not made official doctrine until much later. So another example would be the Trinity, that obviously it was canonized or made a rule of faith. Okay, I need you to repeat that last sentence. It came through really butchered on the sound system, so please, please repeat the last sentence. Uh, will be the Trinity. Uh, we can say that obviously the Trinity existed before it was canonized or made a rule of faith. Okay. And uh, so just one quick question. What would you say to the obvious objection that we know is going to come? that says, well, well, the ascension of Isaiah and the Didache did not make the canon of Scripture, so why are you quoting from sources outside of the Bible? I would say who actually put together the Bible, the authority of the Catholic Church. So if you're saying that it didn't make the canon of Scripture, then you're basically supporting the Catholic Church in that, you know, uh, the Catholic Church is the, the you know the true source of the Bible, and it was the Catholic Church's decision what to put in in the Bible and what not to put in the Bible, and that was according to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You mm-hmm. also, if you want to start putting these books in the Bible, I mean, there's there's so many things that were written that uh, you know John talks about you know the things that Christ said would fill up all the books of the world. Well, if you just look at the first 300 years of Christianity and 
you understand that apostolic tradition is simply the faith lived. And you have in the first 300 years, you know, uh, thousands of manuscripts discussing the faith lived. You can't exactly put that in the Bible. Right. So basically, if you put everything in the Bible that could conceivably have gone in the Bible, the Bible would have been so big that you'd need a tractor trailer to carry it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they really were in a process of actually condensing things because there is so much information out there. I mean, even uh, uh, during the time of uh, Augustine, Augustine was arguing for the inclusion of uh, Hebrews in Revelation. And uh, at the time, I, I think there was over uh, 160 books uh, that uh, they chose not to put in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So please continue. So getting back to this balance and poetry, uh, this lack of contrast and balance is something that Dr. David Andrews does a great job describing. Uh, I love his conversion story. And uh, in his conversion story, you know, he, he, uh, he wrote, he talks about a Protestant historian becomes a Catholic. And uh, uh, w- what he says, he says, by the time I finished my Ph.D., I completely revised my understanding of the Catholic Church. I saw that her sacramental doctrine, her view of salvation, her veneration of Mary and the saints, and her claims to authority were all grounded in the oldest traditions and in the plain teaching of Christ that my that my Protestant was a confused mass of inconsistencies right, and tortured on logic. Luke, uh, I'm going to need you to start from the beginning. From by the time I finished my PhD, uh, again I apologize, folks, but uh, something about the switchboard. Sometimes when one of us speaks, it sounds like it's going through a blender. And 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 if it happens to me, let me know. If I need to repeat anything, let me know. It's obviously something happened to do with the with the soundboard, but please start again from by the time I finished my PhD. By the time I finished my PhD, I had completely revised my understanding of the Catholic Church. I saw that her sacramental doctrine, her view of salvation, her veneration of Mary and the saints, and her claims to authority were all grounded in Scripture, in the oldest traditions, and in the plain teaching of Christ and the Apostles. I also realized that Protestant was a confused mass of inconsistencies and tortured logic. Not only was Protestant doctrine untrue, but it bred contention and could not even remain unchanged. The more I studied, the more I realized that my evangelical heritage had moved far not only from ancient Christianity, but even from the teachings of her home Protestant founders. So they lost this this fugue, this spiritual nature of Scripture. And Dr. David Anders uh, hosts a wonderful program that people can hear. I, I believe it's daily, right? I know it's at least several times a week. I believe it's daily called called the Communion. It's on EWTN. It's a wonderful program. Yes, yes. In addition to this tradition of Mary being without sin, that we see back to 70 A.D. while some of the apostles were still alive, uh, the Jews really saw no path to heaven due to the sins of Adam and Eve. They waited for a Savior to come and believe righteous souls went to Shul, a place that I separated from hell by a barrier 
that uh, it cannot be crossed. It uh, looks like a kind of a, a waiting station. So Jesus in uh, Luke 16, 19 to 31 shows us an image of this place or state of being beyond our, our material reality as, as, as we live. Uh, Jesus said, and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. This place was not heaven and not hell, but what was their right uh, was hell, but was where righteous souls went. And Job and David show us that even if you lived in righteousness as a Jew, you were still born into original sin, which somehow held people back from the final destination. So it is possible that the book of Job is is the oldest book in the Bible, uh, uh, was written before Moses even. It just, just, you know, gives this feeling to be an old but Job could have known of this original sin before the Israelites fell into the curse of not keeping Mosaic law. In Job 14.4, we read, Who can make him clean that has conceived an unclean seed? Is it not thou who only art? And David, who was under the law, understood the same hereditary defilement of the soul. In Psalms 51.5, we read, For behold, I was conceived in iniquities, and in sins did my mother conceive me. And John tells us how nothing unclean can enter heaven in Revelations 21-27. And of course, Paul tells us how those in the church were made clean by the grace given freely of baptism. So this is, uh, we're going to build this up in layers when we begin to really look at uh, the state of union between Mary and Joseph. Yeah. And, and, and in this case, you know, people say, you know, why do you focus so much on Mary? And, and, and this is one of the answers that I like to give. People say, well, why, why are you looking at Mary and not looking at Jesus? Well, right now, uh, I'm reading the text that you sent me, Luke, and I have my glasses on, Okay. And people could say, well, why are you looking at your glasses rather than looking at the text? Well, I'm looking through my glasses so that I can see and understand the text better. And what did Mary say of herself? My soul doth magnify the Lord. Mary is the magnifying glass. Mary is the glasses through which we look to understand Jesus and understand the Trinity better because she had a unique vantage point. That no one else had. So please continue. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Great analogy. Getting back to this state that we were in and uh, how we came out of the state, uh, Paul in Colossians uh, writes, And you are filled in him who is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with circumcision, not made by the hand 
the spoiling of the body of the flesh, but in the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, and whom also you are risen again by the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him up from the dead. And you, when you are dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he that quickened uh, together with him, forgiving you all your offenses, blotting out the handwriting of the decree that was against us. Before Christ, we are all dead in, in our sins, everybody who lived before Christ. So Romans 5, we hear, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by sin death, so death passed upon all men, in whom all have sinned. For if by the offense of one many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. So this is the state we were in at the time of the incarnation. Circumcision is a removal of flesh, a type for going from the man of flesh to the man of spirituality of this. And it com- well, when it comes to the incarnation, Jesus did not need to be baptized, yet to be a Christian is to follow Christ, even follow him into that baptism, which we need to do. Jesus did not to be baptized, and yet we know that he was not born in iniquity in his mother's womb, like every everybody in the past was. So something different than all of the human humanity before Jesus happened here. So either Jesus just being God, even though he was in the womb of Mary, was simply impervious to that original sin, or Mary's womb was specifically prepared by God to not pass on original sin. Okay. So let's deal with the two common objections. I know you've heard these objections a thousand times. They both come from, from uh, Paul. Uh, and Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul also says there are no, there are no one righteous, no, not one. Uh, deal with those two objections really quickly before we move on, because you know they're going to come up. Well, number one, it has nothing to do with Mary. Number two, Paul says it is written. Paul is talking to, I believe it's the Romans, and he's talking to groups within the church, uh, the Judaizers. Therefore, he's the Judaizers, as, as we discussed uh, uh, way back when we were talking about uh, obedience to faith, these Judaizers were basically baptized into the church, and they were boasting about being closer to God than the Gentiles in the church were because they kept the ceremonial law. And so in this boast is, is where Paul uh, places his correction of things, and he's actually quoting from uh, the Old Testament. And if we follow the sequence of the Old Testament, he's talking about uh, 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 a situation where people were falling uh, back into idolatry and things. And then there's also verses in the Old Testament who talk about uh, being just, righteous, and it goes on and it talks about those who are attacking the just and the righteous of God. So in this context of attacking the just and the righteous, uh, he's he's placing these words, all have sinned, to do with Mary. And Jude does the same thing when he talks about those who have secretly entered in. 
uh, to the church and have gone in the way of Korah. So we must place all of these, uh, you know, all of these verses in the context of the first century church and in the context of what Paul is trying to accomplish. As if all have sinned, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He hasn't sinned. Does uh, uh, infants uh, uh, before the age of reason sin? Do the severely mental retarded sin? Now, the word all can mean a heck of a lot. Uh, in Scripture, it says uh, John was baptizing at the Jordan, and all of Judea were there. Well, did and the prisoners came down? Did women who were about to give birth uh, stop giving birth and go down to the Jordan? Uh, there's, there's yeah, were, the, we were the ministers that were serving in the temple there? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it, you have to humanize the scriptures. I mean, you have to place them, you know, in, in, in a natural vernacular process of how things are being said. You can't yeah. treat the Bible as a magic eight ball. And simply look at a at a literalist interpretation, you know, just following the words. We discussed this over and over again when we looked at uh, and Timothy being the bishop of Ephesus, uh, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, talking about uh, uh, the scripture, and he's talking about it in in the context of Timothy actually being a man of God, a bishop of the church who will use the God-breathed scripture for study and reproof of the priest and laity under his care. Uh, and right. if we look at the Bereans, uh, we could go back to the documents and see that the very first Berean was uh, omnificus. And, uh, uh, and from the very beginning of the church at Berea, it was Catholic all the way to present yeah. day. Yeah, I want to just interject one quick thing before we continue, because folks need to understand this. This idea of sola scriptura, that the Bible is everyone's individual interpretation, you know, they, they make this accusation that Catholics, well, the Catholics don't respect scripture. No, just the opposite is true. We are the ones that are uh, revering and respecting and upholding scripture by not turning the scriptures into our own private little plaything. Uh, it, it must the scriptures must be upheld as they were written, as they were properly translated, as they were properly uh, interpreted. Otherwise, the scripture becomes your own little private playground. And the most important word here is contact. We need historical context. We need linguistic context, and we need typological context. So. We need all of these things to understand each of these uh, and literary contexts. So we need all of these things to understand these passages and bring them to life. Please continue. And the humility to die to self when we actually look at your words, this is my body being the perfect example. So if, if we follow the perfect equity and perfect balance that, that we're discussing, the seamless fabric, we can ask the question, would God make Mary and holy than Eve, even though it is Mary who is obedient to God's will, not Eve? Holy meaning set apart for God. 
these things just, they don't add up, especially when you're following the perfect balance of poetry. So we should not look to the natural order of things in the incarnation of him who transcends the natural order. And we should not, and we should look to the love of Christ and how he would prepare his own mother, which he knew of before time began. Perfect love had an image of his mother in his being before time began. Perfect love would create a perfect mother. No, absolutely. And, you know, Luke, this comes down to this, this false dilemma that they, that the Protestants create uh, between either you have Mary as this ordinary woman who is a sinner or she's a goddess. And that that is basically the false dilemma that they present. Uh, And neither of those visions of Mary is correct. We're not claiming that Mary is the covenant. We're claiming that Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. And we're not claiming that Mary is God. We're claiming that Mary is the mother of God. Uh, and yet they have such a such an absurd need to denigrate the mother of God that they claim that we elevate her beyond where we actually do. So anyway, I just want to interject that. Uh, please continue. Well, I, I, I see Satan's work in this because staying away from Mary means you stay away from the feminine love that really opens you up to Jesus's heart. Yeah. And well, yeah. my answer to that is um, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us who the true believers are. The Bible tells us that the rest of the children of the woman are the true believers of God and keepers of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, that's what Revelation twelve seventeen says. And the woman is clearly Mary. She gave birth to the man child who will rule all nations with an iron rod. The Bible clearly says the rest children uh, are the true believers of God and the keepers of the testimony of Jesus Christ. So before you continue, Luke, I want to ask you one straight question. Well, we'll actually be elaborating on that. Yeah, I just want to ask you one question. Is Mary your mom? She sure is mine. <laughs> yeah, she's all of our mother. Yeah. She is uh she is the image of the love of Christ. Yep. So right, you, please you, continue. So Jesus was not born in iniquity in the womb because Mary was saved from original sin through the blood of the cross before the incarnation. Uh, Argue against the purity of Mary through following a course of natural laws. When we know the incarnation itself, it transcends the natural order of things. So obviously Mary's preparation for the divine can transcend the natural order of things, such as the righteous before the cross who went to Sheol uh, would be saved because of the cross in the future. God is not limited to time and space, as, as, as I brought forward at the very beginning to create that image of the fugue, uh, the sonata. So Mary prayed in ecstasy, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She prays, he has done great things to me, all generations shall call me blessed. 
Protestants and arguing against Jesus making his own mother special among humanity says, uh, see, Mary, uh, uh, she needs what well, we all need a savior. Uh, I, I kind of like the well analogy, and I know a lot of Catholics have heard this. Uh, if I was about to fall into a well and you caught me before I fell, did you still save me? Uh, of course you did. Uh, without your intervention, I would I would not not have fell uh, I would have fell in. So without God's supernatural intervention in Mary, she would have fell into sin. And yet, uh, we like like you were discussing, we should keep focus on why this happened. Mary was preserved without sin, not because of her greatness, but because of the God's greatness and God's perfection. Mm-hmm. So she was made a vessel that was worthy of in the flesh in her for nine months. Right. Like I said, she's not the covenant. She's the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly. And this is uh, at the point where, where it just gets really fascinating. You know, uh, but I, I want to emphasize this, this problem again, where I, I do believe there, there's something demonic here that blocks people from seeing this, this, this deep love and spirituality and love of Christ for his mother. Moses was told to because he walked on holy ground. A burning bush was considered holy ground, while the incarnation of holiness itself was in the womb of Mary for nine months. I was in a debate a while back, and, and the person I was in a debate with told me that Mary's womb was no more holy or no more prepared than where Jesus slept on a daily basis. So what he is saying was that Mary's womb was no more protected than the ground Moses walked on when he was told to remove his sandals because he walked on holy ground. Therefore, Moses' dirty feet would have been fine in the womb of Mary. Mm. And what is fascinating is how Catholic sacredness and holiness against Protestants because of this, this block. We argue for the sacred and the holy, while well, Protestantism, our, our anti-Catholics, fights against it. This is something that uh, of the damage this construct created. Mm-hmm. And I think that Paul described it best in his letter to Timothy when he said that there would be people uh, who would, who would uh, in showing a pretense of religion, would deny its power. And th- this is what we see. Uh, they because they don't they don't see true holiness as an actual thing. They see uh, kind of like Jesus stands in front of us, so the Father can't see our sin. That's how that's how they vision it. That uh, in fact, Luther described it as as a, a blanket of snow over a pile of dung. And you know, I've asked my Protestant brothers and sisters a, a false understanding of imputed righteousness. Right. I've asked my Protestant brothers and sisters this. I said, look, I want to ask you a very straight question. Do you believe that Christ's blood uh, covers sin or does it remove sin? If you don't believe that it removes sin, well, then you don't believe in the concept of holiness 
And, and, and what you do is you set up a situation where God's justice is nullified, where God must pardon the guilty uh, and, and, uh, and sentence the innocent, because that's the, that's the situation that you create. Uh, so we, we as Catholics do not believe that God declares the sinner righteous. We believe that God makes the sinner righteous. It converts the sinner. And what he did with Mary is he did the same thing. He preserved Mary from sin, uh, kept Mary pure, uh, but he just did it in a different way. It was it was by Calvary. It was by the graces earned at Calvary, but they were applied preemptively. They were applied by anticipation. Luke, why is it so hard for them to see this? Yeah, I don't know, but uh, you know, it, it's kind of obvious if you look at Second Corinthians three eighteen, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is of the spirit. To the church living obedience, faith in the sacramental life as they're being transformed through the focus on holiness in the sacramental life and the humility of obedience to the faith. Yeah. All right, please continue. So, the Catholic Church was living the sacramental life in obedience to faith before a word of scripture was ever, ever written. Uh, it fulfilled Mary's prophecy that all generations will call her blessed. Uh, we have called her blessed for 2,000 years. Uh, Protestants began after 1,500 years of Christianity, so uh, it's even impossible for Protestants to even fill this, fulfill this prophecy if, you know, if, you know, if they even think Mary is blessed because, you know, done since the very beginning so that there's also some fascinating science here and uh, i mean i mean this when you think about it it just blows me away because uh knowledge that we have only come into recently um it's called microshimerism mm -hmm. it, it, it has been discovered that fetal cells travel throughout the mother's body and have even been found in heart tissue actually healing the heart of the mother and mm -hmm. autopsies have been revealed that these fetal cells in mothers have lasted even um, into old age. And uh, uh, so we are here for a blink of an eye compared to eternity in order to be saved. So we must consider the possibility that God placed this in science for a particular purpose of contemplation on Jesus's love and union with his own mother. I mean, everything that we're here for is, is salvation. So even in this the science, we see God speaking to us. So Jesus who said, woman, what is there between me and thee? His male DNA was miraculous, and everything else was from his mother. So it makes you think about the words, uh, he has done great things to me. Oh, wow. I, I just have so much I want to say about this, but I, I don't want to tie your program up. But okay, uh, well, we're, at 40, we're at 40 minutes, so if, 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 we, yeah. if we want to go 90, I, I think we yep. can still get this in. Yep. I, I just want to say this. Okay. First of all, uh, we've had Eucharistic miracles in our church, many of them. And 
And and we have the miraculous image of the Shroud of Turin. Now, in, in, in many of these cases, the blood has been tested, and it always comes back as the same blood. And it's AB positive. The interesting thing about AB positive, two, two interesting things about it, is, number one, it's a very rare blood type. It's only available in about 40, 4%, about 4% of people have AB positive blood. And the interesting thing about AB positive blood is it is the only universal recipient person who has AB positive blood can receive blood from anyone else. So, uh, you know, whereas, you know, you've heard this act, this accusation that when we eat the body and blood of Christ, that we were cannibals. No, a cannibal eats the flesh of a dead person and that dead person's flesh is incorporated into them. Christ is living and when we receive his body and blood, we are incorporated into him. And this is, this is science supporting that. Because AB positive is the, only, um, is the only universal recipient. Now, where I'm going with this is there's an extraordinary prophecy in the Old Testament. And it's a prophecy known as the Proto-Gospel, the Proto-Evangelum. And it's Genesis 3.15. And it's an extraordinary prophecy because it would have been something that just would have been very strange and very bizarre to a Jew to hear these words that the, the remnant of her seed would uh, have enmity with the seed of the dragon, uh, the seed of the serpent. Luke, that was against everything else that's in the Bible, everything else that's in Jewish history, because the seed was always carried by the man. That this concept of the woman's seed was was revolutionary. And yet, the interesting thing of, of all the DNA tests that have been done on all of this blood, they can't do a DNA reconstruction. You know why? Because they can't find the markers of a human father. Is which so is amazing. exactly, which is exactly what we would expect, and 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 scientists who have studied this are at a loss to explain that. Well, it's not difficult for us to explain, but uh, they they have a problem with it. There's no markers of a human father, and of course we know why. So please continue. That is just beautiful. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, pray. But we don't know when Mary died. There are different opinions. One of those opinions is that she lived a long life and died of old age and was assumed into heaven after death. She could have been alive during the times when most of the apostles were martyred. One of the reasons why Sola Scriptura is foolishness is because of the sacredness of the mysteries, and another is because of persecution. Can I interject one thing really, really quick here? Go ahead, I don't want to. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So obviously you've seen the Passion of the Christ, uh, the Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, right? With Jim Caviezel yeah. playing. Okay. So a lot of people don't know this, but you know obviously he took most of it from the Gospels. Uh, but you know what the two works that he used to fill in all those little blanks, all those little details that are not in the Gospels, 
the two principal works that he used? Uh, I can take a guess, but I don't want to. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, one of them is the complete works of Anne Catherine Emmerich. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other is Mystical City of God by Maria of Agreda. Now, full yeah, disclosure, awesome. those two combined works are some 3,400 pages. And, yes, I have read both of them. It took me a long time, but I've read both of them. And the reason wow. I'm bringing that wow, up is it. that with that <laughs> – that's dedication because that is deep. Oh, it's uh, fascinating the, stuff. The city of God is so deep. Yeah, and the reason why I bring that up is because Mystical City of God by Maria Vigretta places the death of uh, Our Lady at 44 A.D. So just wanted to just throw that out there for whatever it's worth. So sorry for interrupting your stream of thought. Please continue. So one of the reasons why Sola Scripture is full of this is because of the sacredness of the mysteries, and another is because of persecution. It was Jesus who said, do not give what is holy to the dogs. And Paul explained, if her gospel be veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing. Uh, due to persecution and the sacredness of the mysteries, it was veiled to those outside the church. Uh, we even see this uh, in, in, in the church history in something called Discipline of the Secret, where oftentimes uh, you see letters uh, from the church fathers, and they talk about the Eucharist as symbols, and other times they talk about as the flesh of Christ. When they're talking about symbols, uh, usually these are letters not to the catechumens, but letters that uh, are processed and, and for a year and picked up by anybody. So they, they kept this Discipline of the Secret, so even though what was sacred was being addressed during persecution, Luke used words in his description of Mary that were profound and completely new when it came to Mary. Uh, Luke, who must have uh, uh, knew Mary, I mean, I mean, had to have in order to get the intimate details uh, of the story, the incarnation, was probably protecting Mary by writing the way he did. Uh, maybe because she's still alive, uh, I don't know. And the pagans would have done awful things to her. I mean, th- this would just been you know, a trap if uh, uh, she wasn't protected. Or he simply was being guided by the Holy Spirit and placing many images in Scripture and did not fully understand what he is actually putting to paper. So it is pretty obvious that he had to know he was creating a new word, though, in describing Mary. Quick Luke question writes, for him. Let me interject a really quick question. Uh, mm-hmm. What time did uh, – when do we believe that Luke wrote his gospel, and did that coincide with the persecution uh, in Jerusalem, which would, which would further amplify your point? Uh, offhand, I, 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 I don't remember. Okay. All right. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please okay. continue. So Luke writes, Hail, full of grace. He is not giving the name of Mary to show us how the angel Gabriel addressed Mary, but is addressing actually a state of being as a new name, full of grace. When there's a name change, you can see there is a higher purpose uh, uh, established by God uh, in the salvation mystery. Uh, We see this just like Abrams became Abraham, uh, Sarias uh, became Sarah. 
Jacob to Israel and Simon to Peter. So yes, and Abraham, very quickly, and very quickly, the the word, the specific word that Luke is referring to, is kekeratomene is the word that is the Greek word that's used. Please continue. You, 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 you uh, uh, you're my hero because <laughs> I'm lousy <laughs> with those pronunciations. <laughs> so Abraham's name meaning high father to to Abraham meaning father of multitudes. Sariah meaning princess to Sarah meaning mother of the nations. Changed at the establishment of the covenant with Abraham. Mary was given the name full of grace before she gave birth to the one who would fulfill Abraham's covenant promise. Here we have this flow, this seamless fabric. Uh, Mary becomes the true mother of nations because through Mary came the promise of Abraham fulfilled by her yes to God, which reverses Eve's disobedience. Yeah, and that's kind of what the the, the devotion, um, the devotion that the um, Mary un, untire of knots is based on is based on that concept that you're talking about right there. So we're talking about you know having that wealth of wealth of information of the faith lived, and uh, Irenaeus of Lyons. Uh, uh, he was around between 120 and 180 AD, so he, he was born not too too far after uh, the death of John. In his uh, Adversus uh, Heresis, he writes, The Lord then was ma- manifestly coming to his own things and was sustaining them by means of that creation that is supported by himself. He was making a recapitulation of that disobedience that occurred in connection with a tree through the obedience that was upon a tree, uh, example, the cross. Furthermore, the original deception was to be done away with. The deception by which that virgin Eve, who was already spouse to was unhappily uh, misled, that this was to be overturned, was happily announced through means of the truth by the angel to the Virgin Mary, who was also a spouse to a man. Uh, so if Eve disobeyed God, yet Mary was persuaded to be obedient to God, in this way the Virgin Mary might become the advocate of the Virgin Eve. And thus, as the human race fell into bondage to death by means of a virgin, so it is rescued by a virgin. Virginal disobedience has been balanced in the opposite scale of virginal obedience, for in the same way the sin of the first created man receive amendment by the correction of the first begotten. So this is what Catholics mean when they refer to Mary as the cause of our salvation. This does not mean that Mary is a primary cause. She's a creature, and all creatures are practically infinitely less than God. Uh, Co-redemptrix also does not mean that Mary herself is an origin of grace. It means that God chose her to participate in our redemption through his grace. Mary's a practice of humility. Humility is the key to seeing through Satan's preternatural deceptions. Yeah. And so many people sim- simply deny themselves this grace. Yeah. You know, the last apostle that I formed some 14 years ago, one of the driving forces for me of, uh, of forcing that, uh, for, forming that apostle is this bitter argument that I was having with this rabid anti-Catholic Protestant 
And the argument that she kept making was a co-redemptress, co-mediatrix, and advocate means that we're making Mary equal to God. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> co-redemptress, a co-redemptress and a co-mediatrix, that means, that means equality. Co means equal. No, it doesn't. Co means with. It does not mean, okay. So co means, co is the root word of cooperate. All right. It means to uh, it, to work with the plan. A, a person who is a co uh, a cooperator with a plan does not mean that person is equal with the man who made the plan. And in the end, at the end of the day, uh, Luke, all of us are co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix, and advocates. All of us. Not at the level of Mary, but all of us are in that role of co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix, and advocate in the sense that we cooperate with the plan of God in relating the message and plan of salvation to others. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, Eve didn't cooperate. Mary did. <laughs> I mean, I, bottom, is, is bottom that, line. Said, yeah, it's that simple. So Mary, through obedience to God as a virgin and undefiled, who gave birth without pain, was the bridge between the Old Covenant and the New. The promise of Abraham in the Old Testament and the promise fulfilled in the New. The promise that includes multiplying the descendants of Abraham to be numerous as the stars. So both Joseph and Mary were from the royal line of David. But... Uh, you know that that that's that's another story for a different day. We we go into that later. Okay, please continue. So uh, another great apologist is is Brant Petrie, and he does a beautiful job of showing Mary in the redemption mystery uh, when he writes about the shoot of Jesse. And uh, Jesus and Mary are at the top of the tree, of course, and Jesse, the father of David, is 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 this foundation of the tree. But Petrie looks at the typology of the virgin daughter uh, of Zion in Scripture, and he says, indeed, this verse becomes an excellent example of what Scripture scholars refer to as the polyvalent or multi-layered nature of Scripture. You know, we discussed this from the very beginning. And the angel's greeting signals not only that Mary is full of grace, but also that she is the true daughter of Zion, relate to Mary being free from sin. We saw before that it was a sin of Israel that prevented God from dwelling in the midst of the virgin daughter of Zion. So how fitting for the new covenant daughter of Zion in the midst of whom the Lord would dwell bodily to be free from all sin. So the obstacle that kept God from dwelling in the midst of his people had been eliminated through Mary's immaculate conception and Mary becomes the archetype of the church, holy and without blemish. Mm -hmm. So on one level, since she was full of grace, Mary was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the daughter of Zion, even before the incarnation. And yet the, there was more to come. Mary's fullness of grace had prepared the new covenant daughter of Zion for something that uh, something the old covenant could never even have phantomed it was grace that made her fit to be worthy uh, to be a worthy vessel 
to bear the king of glory in her body, the fulfillment of God promise would not be complete when until Mary conceived Jesus in her womb. That's basically an explanation by Brant Petrie. It was it's pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. uh but Paul shows us how we entered into this the promise fulfilled. I mean Peter says repent and mission of your sins for the promises of you and for your children. So we entered this promise because of Mary being, you know, the daughter of Zion. And uh, Paul tells us, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of them, uh, I'm sorry, this is a, a, where am I at? Verse 27, for as many of you as been baptized in Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And then if you be Christ, you are the seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. So this brings us to the reason for the Immaculate Conception. The promise of Abraham fulfilled came through the destruction of original sin, through the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb. And Jesus, as one not born into original sin, in order lamb. So uh, the angel Gabriel addressed Mary as Hail, uh, <laughs> you got to you, you can say it right. better. Uh, so the, k- the two words, the two words are kere, which means hail, and uh-huh. kkeratomene is the second word. Kkeratomene in the Greek language, yeah. which is formed into English as hail, you have been perfected in grace. Uh, some Bible, Bible versions have full of grace. Some have a lousy interpretations. Uh, I, I think it is. It's just highly favored. I mean, it is lousy. In, in fact, in fact, let me let me get into how lousy it is. The okay. King James version is the first version of the Bible ever to not translate this verse as as uh, full of grace. Now, the interesting thing is is kkeratomene comes from the root word charis. Charis means grace or favor. It can be translated as either grace or favor. But kkeratomene is a specific type of grace. It means it literally means endured with perfected grace. That's what it means. Okay? So to translate kkeratomene as favor is absurd. Now, this is where it really gets crazy. The word charis, which is the the root word of kkeratomene, like I said, can be translated as grace or favor. But do you know the King James Bible refer, uh, translates charis as favor, I mean as grace, like 130 out of 131 times, okay? <laughs> and guess where the exception is, and I'll let you draw your own conclusions. <laughs> well, maybe it really was uh, uh, the prose put into that by Francis <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> so, uh, I think uh, it's, I don't what, it, what it's basically doing is uh, they're injecting their ideology into the text. That's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know Greek, but I, I accept this understanding for people who do. Um, here is a further explanation. I don't remember where I found this, but you know, I, I got stuff in my records from tw- uh, you know, 25 years ago. I'm debating for you know that long, and so it, 
everything I write, right. I, I, you know, I, I put in, the, in a file. So uh, in, in, uh, this is quoted. Why is the word care care only once in the entire volume? Care Yeah, yeah. Used only once in the entire volume of Scripture. It is used in Scripture when the angel Gabriel addressed Mary. Why is the word used nowhere else in secular Greek literature? The technical name for such a novel, unique word is hapax uh, legomenon. Hapax legomenon, which comes to us from Greek, means expressed once. Why is why is the word a feminine passive voice participle verb, which means previously graced past tense, to have been uh, graceful in the past or conception? So can sin result? Eve was before the fall. All right, all right. hold on, Luke. Go ahead. I need you to start from the technical name. I just, uh, another word. We had our, we had our little grinder, uh, audio grinder problem <laughs> again. So start gotcha. from the technical name and continue from there. So the technical name for such a novel, unique word is Hapax Lego Mena, and which comes to us from the Greek means expressed once. So why is the word a feminine present perfect passive voice participle of a verb, which means previously graced past tense before the angel Gabriel approached Mary? So to have been made graceful in the past or can be understood as the immaculate conception. So can sin reside in perfection? Was Eve before sin in, in perfect balance, you know, Donata? God would not make Mary, who answered right, God's I, call, left I'm, than I'm, Eve. I'm sorry, Luke. It happened again. For start with, can sin reside in perfection? I'm really sorry, folks. This is not anything that we're doing. It's it's something that's breaking down on their on their platform. So please be patient with us. Start again with, can sin reside in perfection? So was Eve before the fall without sin? And in, in this perfect balance, you know, which we discussed at the beginning, we talked about this fugue, this sonata, this uh, seamless fabric. God would not make Mary, who answered God's call, less than Eve, who didn't answer God's call. So why did the angel Gabriel address Mary with the salutation of hail, past participle, previously perfected in grace, or the immaculate conception? You know, Luke, I, I love my mother. And I, and I know you love your mother. But neither one of us got a chance to choose our own mother. The only person in the history of the human race that had the opportunity to choose his own mother was uh, Jesus. So this idea that Jesus had all of eternity to think about this, okay, that he would choose his own mother and just make her just an ordinary sinner, just an ordinary Jewish girl. Make her less than Eve, who was the failure of the entire human race. Right. His own mother. His own mother would make her less than Eve. Uh, it's just it's, – it's, it's absurd to the point of blasphemy, in, in my view, anyway. But uh, go ahead. Continue. In addition to Luke using this amazing creation of a new word – for a, a creature, uh, he builds this understanding up in layers uh, for those who would live in the tradition of the church. Now, 
first he shows us the Immaculate Conception. Then he shows us how the Immaculate Conception is the true Ark of the Covenant. He gives us the reason why an Ark of the Covenant was even even made. I mean, the the types fulfilled in the heavenly realities. It was made to fulfill a particular aspect of, of typology. Uh, it was made so that the soul should feed on, you know, the deep spiritual realities that often have no words to truly describe, but simply create a, a closer union with, with the divine. Done to show us the glory of the true ark and the sacredness of its contents. Uh, these things that images the holiness uh, as God calls us to be holy, for he is holy. And we just, right, we just so get just let me, developed in these spiritual realities. Oh, let me just interject real quick. What Luke said there, and it dropped out, is it feeds the soul on images of holiness as God calls us to be holy, for he is holy. And, and the audio dropped out. But I just wanted to repeat that, that sentence so that you got it. All right, please continue. Yeah, I mean, how Luke does this should show people that it, it's really beyond the laws of probability that it was not happenstance, uh, what I'm going to describe, and all Catholics, most Catholics know this, the words that were used that creates this image of the ark in our minds, really, uh, it can't be denied if you choose to really follow truth where it, where it leads. And uh, in this next part, I, I can't overemphasize this verse from James for those who don't believe. James says, he who knows what is right and refuses to do so, for him this is sin. So after Mary is declared by God through the angel Gabriel that she's the immaculate conception who will give birth to the Savior of the world, or as Isaiah tells us, the uh, Emmanuel, God with us, and she proclaims that God has done great things to her, uh, Luke shows her visiting her cousin Elizabeth who will, uh, through a miraculous birth uh, due to her age, and it is written that she was never able to conceive. Um, gave birth to John the Baptist, who who was there to prepare the way for Christ through a ministry of repentance of the Jews and preparation for Christ. So uh, this is when Luke brings in the imagery, the true ark uh, prepared for Christ. Now, I'm just going to go through this, and you just look at type and heavenly reality. Now, the ark of the covenant covered in gold as a sign of purity contained the iron staff that budded, Jesus is our high priest, Melchizedek, who offers through his body his glorified All right. body I mean, blood. I, I have to interject again. Mm-hmm. So what Luke said there is the Ark of the Covenant covered in gold as a sign of purity contained the high priest Aaron's staff that budded. Jesus is our high priest, Melchizedek, of, other, of offers through his body his glorified body and the blood in the form of the bread and the wine who established the life-giving cross. So uh, again, uh, Luke, I'm so sorry this is happening, but there's nothing we can do about it. Well, uh, we got, you know, it, it was good that we gave ourselves 90 minutes this time. Yeah. <laughs> so the ark contained the 10 commandments. Jesus is the word that became flesh through which the prophecy was fulfilled that the law would be written in our hearts. The ark contained the manna that sustained the lives of the Israelites for 40 years in the desert. Uh, They were given food from heaven. Jesus compared his own body to the manna, saying, my flesh is true food, and he is the true bread of life. The ark could could be carried on a donkey, 
set on the ground, be taken across a river, but when someone who did not go through the proper purification touched the ark, they would die. Uh, we see this in the story of Uzzah. Uzzah touched the ark. He was not purified. Then he died. So the ark could not be touched by unpurified man because the ark, the true ark, if we look at type and heavenly reality. So the true ark from the time it was formed is, uh, is the immaculate conception. So if we follow the type and heavenly reality in perfect measure, if Joseph did not recognize the sacredness of the true ark on his own, then God would have done what he needed to do to stop Joseph from having sexual relations with Mary. I mean, Joseph was of original sin, and he would have thought it a sacrilege to corrupt the true ark, which gave birth to God in the time. So Joseph knew that the Ark of the Covenant was the most powerful symbol of God that was ever on earth up until the Incarnation. So it was carried into battles as the power of God against the enemies of Israel. And he was a Jew, so he, he lived the scriptures. He, he understood, you know, the spiritual uh, depth of things that were going on. Yeah, so what Luke is saying here is so important. I want to magnify it because this is the way that I've debated this in the past in, in arguments on the Immaculate Conception, debates on the Immaculate Conception. This is the way that I've argued this in the past. So look at what the ark held inside of it. It held the tablets of the, of the Ten Commandments, which is the Word of God. And the Bible tells us, and the Word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the Word of God is a person. Okay, what else did the Ark of the Covenant hold inside of it? It held the manna, the bread from heaven. Jesus said, I am the true bread. He who eats this bread will live forever, and I will raise him on the last day. So the bread from heaven is a person. All right, what else did the Ark hold in it? It held the staff of Aaron, who was both shepherd and high priest. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. So the shepherd, the good shepherd is a person. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the high priest who entered into the temple once for all. So the high priest is a person. So the Ark of the Covenant held all of these things that typologically symbolize and point towards Jesus. And that made the ark so holy that for Uzzah to even touch it meant death. But the ark of the covenant was so holy, holding all of these symbols of Jesus, all of these typologies of Jesus. Folks, Mary held the real Jesus inside of her. How holy would she have been? And that's where I leave it. <laughs> And, and this is just the beginning of the layers for this incredible mystery. Um, the ark traveled to the house of Abedidim in the hill country of Judea. We see this in Second Samuel. And Mary traveled to the house of Elizabeth and Zechariah in the same hill country of Judah. We see this in Luke 139. David, who was dressed as a priest, danced and leapt in front of the ark. We see this in Second Samuel. John the Baptist, who lineage leapt in Elizabeth's womb as Mary the true ark approached. We see this in Luke 141. 
David thought, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? You see this in Second Samuel. Elizabeth thought, why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? But we even have more. I mean, to anyone who bases their faith on reason, this in itself should be an overwhelming, overwhelming by, by now. But Scripture does not interpret Scripture to the heart. You know, faith does. So you can see all of this. And if you want to separate from this, if you don't want to believe it, you're not going to. In, in 2 Samuel 6.15, David shouts while in the presence of the ark. In Luke 1.42, Elizabeth exclaims with a loud voice, a loud cry in the presence of Mary. So get this. Uh, on top of everything else, Luke uses the Greek term anaphonio. Elizabeth cried out in a loud voice. The only other times the word anaphonio is found in the Bible is when Scripture is referring to the sounds made by the Levitical, pre Levitical priest before the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, let's go on. The Ark was in the house of Abedidim for three months, and the house was blessed by the presence of the Ark. In 2 Samuel, you'll see this. We see this. Mary stayed uh, in the house of Elizabeth for three months. And beyond all laws of probability, to the contrary, the word blessed is used three times. So later on, the ark is returned to Jerusalem in Second Samuel, and Kings uh, also expresses this. And it expresses that God's presence and glory is seen in the temple uh, in, in Kings and Second uh, Samuel. Then we go back to Luke, and we see Mary as the true ark in Jesus, as God incarnate presence in the temple in Luke 1, 56 and 2, uh, 21 through 22. So in, we go on. In Psalms 132.8, David and the Holy Spirit says, Arise, O Lord, into thy resting place, thou and the ark which you have sanctified. Now and let me interject something really quick. Go um, ahead. Go ahead. What you're saying there about Psalm 132.8 you are pointing to the Douay Reims version of the Bible. Some of the other Bibles don't support that. But let's remember the Douay Reims was the first English translation. And it is uh, very faithful to the original uh, Latin Vulgate. So that is a a very precise and accurate quote. Arise, O Lord, into thy resting place, thou and the ark which thou was sanctified, and why that was left out in other versions of the Bible, other translations of the Bible, I do not know. But right here is support for the assumption, Luke. This is support for the doctrine exactly. of the assumption. Exactly. And we and we see where the ark, which was sanctified by God, rises to when we look at the end of Revelations 11, beginning at 12, uh, where we read, and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his testament was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and voices and an earthquake and great hail, and a great sign appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So an ark that was sanctified, defined as made holy, set apart to a sacred purpose or to religious use. Another uh, definition for made holy is to consecrate and to free from sin or to purify. Mm -hmm. And I want to amplify what Luke is saying here, because this is something that was first, I believe was first brought up in um, Maria Vergreta's Mystical City of God, 
at least that's the first place that I found it, or the earliest, I mean. It was later brought up by St. Maximilian and Colby, and that is that if you look at the book of Revelation, you look at this great sign, okay? Now, now a, a sign is a miracle that teaches a lesson. It is a miracle that proclaims a teaching or that prophesies something. Uh, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars upon her head. What happens next? War breaks out in heaven. Now, have you ever contemplated this? We know that the devil rebelled, and he was thrown out of heaven by Michael and his angels. But have you ever contemplated why he rebelled? Well, St. Maria of Agreta and St. Maximum Colby said that the reason why he rebelled is because God gave him this sign of the woman clothed with a sun. And, and Lucifer was like, me? Bow down to a mortal? Never. I will not serve. And that's what caused the rebellion in heaven. And that's why the hatred of the devil for Mary is so great. Because she was at forever, from that point on, forever at enmity with the devil. And this is confirmation of the Immaculate Conception. And so Satan goes to, to make war with the children of the woman who will keep the commandments of God. So the, the crown of 12 stars with the moon under her feet can be both the church and Mary, but it cannot be just the church. And these images is where we who live obedience of faith are given that grace to contemplate things, uh, things that are outside of time and space and, and simply are. I mean, we, our faith just tells us they simply are. And the things that bring forth the eternal vision separating us from time as, as we contemplate on them. Uh, and so the seed of the woman has to be those who enter the promise of Abraham fulfilled. Now, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, Mary as the mother of the church here. So I've addressed this in, in past discussions, and we are bound to overlap a, a little bit here. But uh, those who have entered the promise fulfilled have, as Paul, uh, addressed in, uh, as Paul addressed in Romans 9. So 1 Peter tells us to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, for the promise is for you and for your children. Then Paul is telling us uh, part of part of what this uh, uh, promise fulfilled is. He says, "Not as though the word of God is miscarried, for all are not Israelites that are of Israel; neither all uh, they that are of the seed of Abraham children, but in Isaac shall by seed that shall the seed be called. That is to say, not they are the children of the flesh are the children of God, but they that are the children of the promise are accounted for the seed." And in order to enter the family of God, enter the promise of Abraham fulfilled, uh, Peter tells us we are divinized. Of course, as Catholics, we understand that this occurs through the single event of baptism, which was the beginning of the, the, from the fall from Adam and Eve. And Peter writes in Second Peter, as all things of his divine power, which appertain to life and godliness, are given us through the knowledge of him, who hath called us by his own proper glory and virtue, by whom he has given us most great and precious promises, 
by these you may be made partakers of divine nature. You have become the family of God inside his divine nature. Then obviously the mother of God into time would be much more perfected in that divine than we would be in the flesh. And yeah. we're not we're not prepared to be a literal tabernacle for the incarnation from birth. And it is through our baptism that destroys original sin that prepared us for receiving the Eucharist. So uh, uh, Christ says, you do not pour new wine into old wineskins. So do you really think Mary needed no preparation to carry God in the flesh in her womb for nine months? Right. And in per perfect equilibrium, the mother of that divine nature would also be our mother. All right, please continue. So uh, let's go back to David Anders uh, for, for a little bit because uh, he, he kind of puts this whole thing together in, in a beautiful way. Uh, he says, Scripture teaches that the church is the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12. Evangelicals tend to dismiss this as a mere metaphor, but the ancient Christians thought of it as literally, uh, albeit mystically, true. St. Gregory of Nisan uh, could say, he who beholds the church really beholds Christ. As I thought about this, I realized that it spoke to a profound truth about the biblical meaning of salvation. St. Paul teaches that the baptized have been united to Christ in his death so that they might be also be united to him in his resurrections. He says this in Romans 6.3. This union of literally makes the Christian a participant in the divine nature, which we just discussed in Second Peter. St. Athanasius could even say, for he was made man that we might be made God. So the ancient doctrine of the church now made sense to me because I saw that salvation in itself is nothing other than union with the Christ which he wrote into his nature. So the church is no mere association of like-minded people. It is now, a I, want inject, I want to inject one thing really quickly. Go ahead. We are not suggesting that we become gods. We're not suggesting <laughs> no, that we become divine. I just want to make that clear. We yeah. actually partake in the divine nature. We are incorporated into the divine nature. But we do not become exactly. gods. Go ahead. Continue, please. So, so Dr. Anders goes on. The church is no mere association of like-minded people. It is a supernatural reality because it shares in the life and ministry of Christ. He says, once I understood the Catholic position on salvation, the church and the saints, the Marian dogma, also seemed to fall into place. If the heart of the Christian faith is God's union with, with our human nature, the mother of that human nature has an incredible, important, and unique role in all of history. This is why the fathers of the church always celebrated Mary as a second Eve. Her yes to God at the Annunciation undid the no of Eve in the garden. If it is appropriate to venerate the saints and martyrs of the church, how much more appropriate is to give honor and veneration to her who made possible our redemption? So Jesus gave his mother to the church at the same place he consummated his marriage with his bride, giving his mother to his flesh, his bride, his church, all of what Paul describes. And those who have entered the promise fulfilled, who have been divinized in order to the family of God. At the foot of the cross, Jesus gave care of his mother to the disciple whom he loved. So 
these words are, 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 are so deep because you have to take the whole image of the body of Christ in consideration. Does he not call all of us to all be disciples whom he loved and in turn giving us his mother? Jesus says, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He is going to love all of those disciples. So scripture is influenced by God, God breathed, and must be seen as a beautiful balance, a poem of love story between a perfect groom and an imperfect bride. So Jesus in the Old Testament tells his bride, I will spouse you to be in justice. I will spouse you to me forever. John, who is a friend of the bridegroom, says he who has the bride is the bridegroom. Paul tells us, whoever hates his own flesh, no one loves his own flesh as Christ does the church. And Augustine, seeing all of this, says, like a bridegroom, Christ went forth from his nuptial chamber. He came even to the marriage bed of the cross and sensed the creature sighing in her breath. He surrendered himself to torment for his bride in a communication of love. This is what it means when he says it is finished or it is consummated. This entire body of, of the seamless fabric being put together in the body of Christ for our redemption. Luke, I want to tell you something. We planned on 90 minutes for this show, and you finished with 30 seconds to spare. So well done. <laughs> 30 <laughs> seconds to spare. Would you end us with the closing prayer? What a fabulous show tonight. Ted, I, I was engrossed the entire time. What gave, a wonderful you gave, show. You, you really filled in with some beautiful information. And we're going into the archives for the closing prayer, but I can live with that. Um, please end us with the closing prayer, if you would. Well, and that's out there for prayers. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy own Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. And Luke, I want to tell you this. In, in all honesty, this may be the best show that you've done so far. It was really, I was engrossed the entire time. Um, God bless you. What a, what a wonderful presentation tonight. And uh, I can't wait to see what you got for next week. God is beauty. Thank you. Yeah, God bless you. And I'll see you next week. Folks, this has been the Luke Haskell Show on the four persons. God bless you and have a wonderful weekend. You too.